my job is to win. And here comes Mark Cavendish. Mark Cavendish is going to do it. Mark Cavendish takes the title again. Mark Cavendish is the greatest sprinter in the history of cycling. That was just a piece of magic. Mark Cavendish, one of the most successful sprinters of all time. I'm still doing what I love as a job, but you forget that you're doing what you love as a job. Mark has won an astonishing 34 stages of the Tour de France. If you put it into the kind of context of what a race is, you learn from positives and negatives, don't you? Have I good luck before? Or bad luck now? That's life, that's bike racing, you know? How are you feeling about the season that lies ahead? Yeah, good. If I do everything I can do to the best that I can do it, then I'm happy. There's a pressure to win it, and it's how you deal with that that is the biggest factor between first and second. There's so many little things about a sport that make it just beautiful. It's a different kind of race this year. Thanks so much for doing this, man. It's, no a, it's a pleasure to meet you. I'm honored that you made the time. I can't imagine how you feel right now. You were in Japan yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what time it is for you right now, but you did a criterium like Sunday, right? Today's Monday. Yeah. It's so weird, like leaving Japan and then arriving here before I left. It's like being in a sci-fi movie. Or right. You know, I've never like skipped a day. Normally I'm always between Europe, aren't I? So yeah. We'll see how long we go before I'm like all right. hitting the mic. We'll, <laughs> we'll go easy on you, man. We're all friends here. Um, and we're in this very unique auto garage uh, because you couldn't make it across town. So I'm glad we could accommodate it. I know you do. I mean, obviously you do a ton of media, but you haven't done a ton of this kind of media, these types of podcasts. So, you know, I appreciate you being open to it. That's no problem. I don't yeah. actually do that much media anymore. Okay, really? We have media commitments. We have to do round racing, but I don't really do even that much media anymore, really. How has the Netflix documentary being out there kind of changed how people interface with you? Like average people who aren't gearheads. Do you know what? Like it, it thrown me because it's been so overwhelmingly positive. Mm -hmm. Like nothing's ever really happened to me positive without something negative to kind of yeah. counterbalance it, you know? And it's been quite overwhelming. Like I wanted to just lock myself in the garage for two months because like I just said, like that, you're waiting for it. Okay, can't be something good without... Mm -hmm. The backlash. Yeah. And then uh, I think mostly was like quite laying myself bare. You know, as a sports person, you don't... I guess the best way to describe it is you play a character, don't you? Mm -hmm. You know, like not necessarily to fans and that, but your rivals, you know, especially as a sprinter, you have to... There's, there's a certain, I guess, stereotype that goes with that. And uh, it's a lot of mind games as well as physical. Sure. just to lay my real self out there, flaws and all, it's quite, I feel a bit exposed actually, you know, like not in a bad way, like, it's not like, uh terrified, but I just kind of wanted to close myself off from the world and that. That's interesting. I mean, I think two observations on that. The first thing is just your openness to even doing it. Like I was curious if that decision was made when you thought you were going to retire, because it's one thing to do something like this post-career to open yourself up and to be vulnerable on that level, you know, sort of like how Beckham did recently with his, with his thing, but for you to be still in the sport and like reveal a side of you that perhaps there's an aspect of your competitive nature that wishes, you know, <laughs> people didn't know, it's not surprising that you feel that way. But I also think my second observation is that 
that is an extension of all the work that you've done on your mental health to feel okay about putting that out there, like this exploration and vulnerability and realizing that it doesn't need to negatively impact your performance. And in fact, you know, evidence has shown that it's made you stronger and more resilient and has contributed to your longevity in the sport. Yeah, that's true. We've talked about the stuff with the film, with everything that happened in the film, it's quite organic actually. Like actually when we decided to do something, it was kind of before all that stuff happened. Mm. And then just it completely changed because all that happened. Oh, so, through, the, so, so it's been going on for a long time then, yeah. making it, yeah. There's a lot more impact with it now anyway than what would just be in a sure. highlights of my career, really, do you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a documentary more. about mental health. Yeah. That's what it is. Especially now, it's talked about a lot more, which is which is great. So you, you don't mind it there. Mm-hmm. Actually, like, the biggest thing I say is that from my personal view of mental health, like... Before I suffered, I thought it was an excuse, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, in fact, there's actual things I see in some of my competitors in the past that if I knew then what I know now, like, I perhaps preyed on problems that some of my competitors had mm-hmm. without knowing. Mm-hmm. But I, like I said, I thought, just snap out of it. Like, like what's wrong with you? Like... I'm not glad I, 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 I suffered and suffer. Like, I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but at least I can understand. And mm-hmm. not just someone that wasn't thought about it. I really thought it was an excuse. Yeah, you just know? pull yourself so, up yeah. out of the gutter. What's your problem? Exactly. It's all in your so, mind. Move mm, forward. Exactly. So yeah. now I can really talk about it with experience. Mm-hmm. Like, take it seriously. Like, I, for one, was not one that not, not, I wasn't even didn't think about it. I just didn't take it seriously at all. As somebody who's who's been doing this for a very long time, I'm sure you've gotten really good at figuring out what your competitors' weaknesses are. Yeah. You're going to exploit those physically, but like, how can you exploit those mentally, right? Yeah. With, you know, how you're interacting with these people. Uh, does it does it make you less inclined to do that? Or are you still able to kind of deploy that? No, a lot less. Like, yeah. cliched smack talk, say, do you know, which was something I employed quite a lot in the past. I just don't do it now. Just, any negative negativity as as a whole. Do you know when they say like when you when you're a kid, like you make yourself better to be better. Don't make people worse for mm-hmm. you to be better. Like it, it's that on right. a on a grown up level. I yeah, guess. yeah, do, do you yeah. Know what I mean, I mean, you're a grown up, yeah. you know, and you actually seem like you seem like a much happier person, like a more oh. grounded person. You're approaching the sport more from a perspective of joy and gratitude yeah. than just being like on that like edge where winning is everything. And it's so interesting that the documentary is called Never Enough, right? Like yeah. I'm sure your definition of that has changed from, you know, how you might've thought of that in earlier years. Yeah. I have to kind of think back and think what I was thinking. It's hard to do that because it's just you, yeah. you know? Like when you, when you have to kind of explain who you were, what you, it was just you, so you don't really know. You just know like with everything in life, like with a race, if you put it into the kind of context of what a race is, you learn from positives and negatives, don't you? If you win, even though you've won, you might still have made mistakes or you mm-hmm. might have done something new and you learn, you you you, you put that into, into play the next time you go out. And more importantly, when you don't win, like you learn from 
from what you did wrong and try and put that into practice next next time and life's a lot like that i guess mm -hmm. um you learn the older you get the the wiser you are of course the best thing for for learning moving forward is making mistakes you know right. or, or or doing things maybe you not you don't necessarily regret them but maybe you think back oh i would have done that different and then you have kids as well and yeah that changes that it. changes yeah exactly exactly what life is all about and why you do things and i don't know i don't know if it's growing up or it's what i've been through or what but i'm just like i used to harbor negativity and i actually it served me quite well sometimes because that it, it created a fire but i tell you you feel a lot lighter if you just mm. don't harbor negativity it can yeah. be negativity towards people <laughs> or towards something you've done or rate but, but it's scary to let go of that it's a yeah. very reliable fuel source yeah. you know and it served you well it's part of the equation this is how i win right and the prospect of like hey you're gonna have to let go of that if you want to get over this hump and continue to race and you're gonna have to find a new fuel source. I would imagine that's terrifying for anybody who's who's acclimated to kind of that perspective. Yeah, just just enjoy it. It's kind of it sounds so silly, it sounds so simple, so cliched, but if you can enjoy and appreciate every pedal rev, it makes everything worthwhile what with what you're doing. Like I get to do what I love as a job, you know? And when I first turned professional, I realized that. But very quickly, you know, I was world champion. Mm -hmm. I won everything I did. And you forget that. And I'm still doing what I love as a job, but you forget that you're doing what you love as a job. My job is to win, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of, I want to win for sure. But that pressure's put from an outside entity you know right and, uh, right 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 so you're you're just so literally like a month ago you just announced that you weren't retiring and you were mm -hmm. coming back so how much of that decision is about like the joy piece like i love what i do i love riding my bike i love the the camaraderie and being at these races versus the project 35 got to get that win and get my name up on the record boards I have the record for most stage wins. Like I'm yeah. joined with it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I have it. <laughs> I'm know? not taking anything away from yeah. you. You set a goal. You try and achieve it. Hopefully you do achieve it. I don't want to be like a non-playing character and just ride around in the pillow. And that's not yeah. fair on anybody, you know. Everything I do is always, I want a purpose for it. Within everything I can control. If I do everything I can do to the best that I can do it, then I'm happy. If I know I just, work hard put myself in the best position to win and i chose made the decision to retire actually just because i was happy mm. again like I, I lost so much love for what i was doing i guess like i forgot why i was doing it and i wouldn't say i'd have ever been bitter but if you start a career with a love of something you've done your whole life you want to finish your career with that yeah and finally i've got that again and uh, it was like, wow, it's perfect to stop. Like, fortunately, I uh, crashed at the Tour de France. And that is what it is. I was like, mm -hmm. I've had good luck before. Bad luck now. That's, that's, that's life. That's bike racing, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all sort of lined up for you last year. The crash took you out. By your own words, your motivation was super high. And you were very positive about your prospects and how you would do. So now here we are the next year 
the the Tour de France course was just unveiled. Like, how are you feeling about the season that lies ahead? Yeah, good. We start now. And it's to say, I've done it 20 times. Yeah. So I, I know what to do. <laughs> and it's quite nice, actually, like, knowing I can build towards July. Like, it was strange for a few years that you had to fight for your place in the team to get even get to July. Mm -hmm. So that would affect your preparation. If you have to fight, fight in quotation marks, but if you have to prove yourself to go to the tour within a team. So there's eight riders from a team go to the Tour de France and there's 30 riders in a team. So mm -hmm. you have to prove yourself sometimes. Like for most part of my career, it was a given I go to the tour. So I do the best thing I can to prepare for the Tour de France for July. And there was these few years like where I had to, just try and get in the team to go to the tour. Yeah. And to do that, you need results. And that affects your whole preparation for the tour because you're going to races. Okay, you want results in every race you go to, but obviously you can't specifically train because you're preparing for a race because you don't want... It's hard to... If I train hard before a race, like I'm not going to do the best I can at the race. Uh, it's sure. a tapering period. Yeah, yeah, of you course. Need your, it's not the training and the race. Your what are you really recovery. angling for? Exactly. And this year, it's it's all about the tour. So you don't have yeah, to worry yourself exactly. with all of these like early season races. And you've got a whole team that's lined up and organized around your success this year, which exactly. is which is different. That's a new thing. You put it a lot more eloquently than yeah. But the other thing is <laughs> the other thing is yeah. a little different is that you meet your demons. A couple amazing people come into your life to resuscitate what everyone at that point believes to be, you know, game over for you. And at the last minute, um, you're selected for the tour in 2021. Mm -hmm. There's really no pressure on you because nobody expects anything from you. And you have had this experience of weathering your mental health journey and kind of coming out on the other side of that and entering that race with a, a kind of newfound perspective. Before... It wasn't anything if I won, because I won. It was big if I didn't win. Mm -hmm. All I could do was right. lose before. Whereas now, like, I really get the sense, both with myself, the people close around me, my wider fans, that it's just a bonus. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah, it, yeah. It's a nice target to have to stand alone, stage into the Tour de France. But it's like... Your identity is not hinged on like, well, how you're going to perform. Well, whereas before, it was a failure if I didn't win. Mm-hmm. There's, there's not many sports people that that happens to. It's a, it's a failure if they don't win. Like you, you lose more than you win. Yeah. If you have a tennis match with one player versus one player, you have a 50% chance of winning. Uh -huh. And you have 200 bike riders on a 200 kilometer circuit with variables that are just infinite. You know, your chances of winning significantly reduce. My team boss, Alex Vinokurov, he was Olympic champion sure. in London. He had a big crash the year before. He should have retired. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to win the Olympics. And uh, I was favorite for that race. And he won. And uh, as a boss, he's incredible because he says, look, we try. That's it. All we can do is try. Mm. We put the work and we do what we can do. And he's 100% right. If we do everything we can do and someone's better, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. If we do everything we can do, we put ourselves in the best, chance of of winning and i think if we do what we do then the chances of winning are quite high yeah it's got to be different to have uh a former rider especially of his caliber as the team manager really as opposed is, to yeah. just a manager who who wasn't you know a rider 
they have a different lens on it. You feel a difference with a champion. There's riders. I talk in cycling speaking. You can talk about it a lot more broader. But in cycling speaking, you have riders. You have good riders when they win. And, and you have people that win a lot, you know. And it's hard to win, mm. you know. There's a lot of riders always second and third, which is good. Like I said, out of Peloton, I have nearly 200 riders. Getting consistently second, third is good. But there's a difference between getting consistently second and third and winning. To get a win, it's crazy difficult. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. 
To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. What is the difference when you look at good versus great? Like, what is the differentiator mentally? I mean, obviously, everybody's training incredibly hard and they're all going to, you know, sort of have watts in the same range and all of that. But racing's different. It's dealing with pressure was always my answer, will always be my answer. It's your ability to deal with pressure. It might be pressure from someone else. It might be pressure from yourself, but there's a pressure to winning. And it's how you deal with that that is the biggest factor between first and second. Mm. So how has your relationship with pressure changed? I never really felt it anyway. It's more dealing with the aftermath of that pressure that was always, that, that, that's changing what I did. Uh-huh. If it went well, obviously I'm, I'm elated, like throwing a bouncy ball in a room, you know? Whereas the other way, I probably was angry or just over-emotional the other way, you know? lashed out at myself or other people, you know, and uh, wouldn't sleep at night going over what happened, what happened, what happened, what happened, things like that. Whereas now it's, there's not really that, like holding on to it, you move on straight away is, is what it is, isn't it? How much of that is a result of the work that you've done on your mental health with David Spindler and the people that came into your life at the lowest moments? Yeah, it's everything to do with it. I think it was just learning what's important. Like, we didn't do so much work as such. Like, David was really good at, he's obviously explained it to me after, but he'd, he dropped something in, like a, a cue for me to, to work it out myself. I didn't know he was doing that. Things are going off the rails. You're not winning. You've got Epstein Bar. You got no energy. You couldn't make the time cut the Tour de France, you had to drop out. You sink into this depression. You sort of allude to some disordered eating patterns also. And it's a pretty dark hole that's starting to impact your, your marriage. Like your whole life feels like a house of cards that's, that's falling in on itself. And this guy, David Spindler, comes out to the Isle of Man, right? And hangs out with you and just seems like he's just trying to understand you and get to know you. And it would appear from watching the documentary that a big part of the way in towards solving this problem was helping you reconnect with the joy that brought you into cycling in the first place. Like when you go to the field where you first learned how to ride and he starts to understand and see that that's what you need to recapture in order to rebuild. Yeah, make me just realize why I ride my bike. It's, it's as simple as that. And getting you over the, the hump on this idea that maybe you need and could accept some help, right? Like this idea that mental health is actually a thing. That was a pretty big hurdle, actually. Yes. <laughs> you know? How did he crack you open on that one? I knew something was wrong. It was when 
like I went and got all the tests. The doctor, Helga, he's someone I trusted so much. I want to talk about everything that I felt, but the irony is I didn't feel anything. You try and think back and it's like thinking black into a, just an abyss really, <laughs> do you know? It's quite strange. Just being numb mm. and like losing that enthusiasm for life. And it's different to being sad, <laughs> do you know? I think what I used to not understand, I used to think it was just, you just, you're just sad. Like it's not sad. It's a good way to describe it is you, you're sad, but you, you're not sad. <laughs> You're just not happy. You're just not anything. It's quite easy to see somebody who maybe they themselves don't know something's wrong. It could be quite easy to dismiss them as like feeling sorry for themselves, mm -hmm. but they're not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wonder like in your case, how much of it is like a brain chemistry thing? Like there's something broken in the wiring that needs to get, you know, figured out and reconfigured on the one hand. And then on the other hand, this idea that your identity is so wrapped up in being a champion, somebody who always wins. And when suddenly that's not happening, like there's an identity crisis, like who am I? Or, you know, my purpose is to win races and I'm like a, a, a machine for victories. And when that's no longer the case, like. It's hard for me to dissect that because yeah. it, it's obviously observations from the people around me. Do you know, you don't feel like that at the time. I didn't feel like that. I still kind of don't feel like that that I had an identity that went because I couldn't mm -hmm. do it I'm just me I don't know any different now I know yeah. you know it's more observations from the people knowing me you know like and it makes sense and, and and I wholeheartedly agree with what they say unfortunately I can't analyze it right but what were some of the things that you began to do that that started to you know allow you to claw out of it or start to see the light people around you the be all and end all. Like, I'm very lucky that I had some very good people around me, you know, that were patient and just, you know, helped me put things in perspective, really. Beyond your wife, your family, the two people that come to mind beyond Spindler are Vazi, who comes mm. in as your coach, and you seem to immediately like resonate with him, and it feels like he understands you and has a way of communicating with you. But he's just straight. He's just straight. Yeah. I've always appreciated someone that's just straight. Okay, you learn as you're older, you can be straight and still be diplomatic, you know? I could say, you did that wrong. Doesn't help anyone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you might do something wrong. Instead of just going, you did that wrong, that's it. Like, what do you gain from that? There's no point saying a negative without some sort of solution, you know? Something you did, you did that wrong. You maybe could have done that there and it would have gone this way instead of that. You know, sure. it's the same thing, but it's a positive in how you say it. And uh, I've learned to do that by still being straight. And Vazzy mm -hmm. was straight with me. It's quite refreshing to have someone that just tells you straight, you know? And did he also he brought a different kind of structure to your training, like the physical part of it also. He brought our structure to my training. Yeah. I've had a structure before, really. With that much time that I had away from cycling, really, you lose your physical ability mm -hmm. as well, you know? So that takes a, a time to build up. I'd been professional by that point over a decade, like, and uh, the resilience and that you build up over that time is compounded from years and years of 
kilometre after kilometre sure. after kilometre. And having a big block off, it's like retiring and coming back from retirement. Yeah. It, you know, it doesn't just happen. You have to work and I think he was able to do that. I still don't like training structure. I don't like oh. how we train. Like, I'd rather go out and ride, <laughs> yeah. you know? But I understand that. How has that uh, changed and evolved as you as you're aging up, like in terms of recovery and just being really precise and intentional about your workouts? Is that more important than it used to be? Are you still able to bounce back? No, the sports changed as well. Yeah, so you have to be more dialed now. When I started, it was sports science, but you there wasn't the data there is mm -hmm. now to collect. So basically, you turn professional if you won races as an amateur that, that, that's it mm -hmm. now the majority of the peloton they never won a race as an amateur they're just you can see physically from the data that they're strong so everybody's strong not necessarily good bike riders but strong so like the speed is just ridiculously high the bikes are faster so the speed's higher and just everyone's strong yeah <laughs> like everyone so you have to level up in terms of your training. Yeah, because I'm same not very time, good. I'm not, yeah. like, like, like <laughs> really. Gonna like ride your bike around. Yeah. Old school style. Yeah, really. Coffee I'm, rides. I'm not. I, I'm do actually, some tempo, call yeah, it a day. I'm right? actually a bit of a runt in cycling. Yeah. You know, I just ride my bike a lot. So, But there's <laughs> a whole generation of cyclists coming up who, to your point, incredibly strong, power to weight, all that kind of stuff, super dialed. They understand the technology. There's all these gadgets and trackers and there's no end to the amount of data you can collect and kind of mine to get better. But at some point that doesn't replace experience or, you know, I mean, frankly, like the balls to race, right? Like all of that stuff is more instinct and experience. Yeah, instinct more. You still have to work out. You set a plan before and you can know. The more you can go over something, the more you do something, the more it becomes instinct mm. you do without thinking, you know. Yeah, and that's a benefit of age, I guess. Yeah. You've had a, many scenarios before. I do want to, like, indulge you with one thing. I want to show you something. Can I show you a clip? Yeah. I was so proud. That's an amazing moment, man. Yeah, it's nice. What does it bring up for you to watch that now? I mean, you're you're so emotional. It's just this amazing catharsis where, you know, everything that led up to that, you know, finally you could kind of let it go. Just like my wife Peter said, just holding on. It was just finally letting go of that hold on. Like it might never have come. Might not have won there and then might never have been able to let it go. Do you think about that? Like, no. Had things gone just a little bit differently, like you might not have had that not opportunity. Not at all because they didn't. Yeah. yeah. You know, like we'd done everything we possibly could within our control to do it, you know. That's all you can do. And fortunately made for a successful race yeah. it sounds quite unromantic to like how i talk about it it's as simple as that really like just could let go there and then like and it did happen like that and that's why it 
it went like that. Really, yeah. You know? Did you just feel lighter and the confidence was there like the rest of the tour after kind of, yeah, you know, breaking that seal yeah. became easier and more joyful? I wouldn't say I felt lighter because I didn't feel pressure anyway going into that. It wasn't like I had everything to gain and nothing to lose, there, mm -hmm. you know. So it wasn't like I felt any pressure go because it was not there anyway, but I definitely felt the confidence after that. And I felt the confidence that the boys had as well. And that is a massive factor. It's always mm. been a massive driving factor in my performances, how committed my teammates are, you know. You don't necessarily have to be the strongest, but if you're committed, you're probably better everyone else it's another cliche like a strong team is sure is way stronger than a team of strong people you know it feels like your team this year going into into the tour is very strong you've got your lead out sorted you got Vinokurov supporting you you've got Vazi you've got all the elements right so that must feel good got committed boys I yeah. know that which is nice and lads that know me you know, I work. I always think you get a good sense of how a team's going to perform by not how they are on the bike, but how they are at the dinner table. So where we go, we stay in hotels and not quite often you'll have two, three, four teams in the same hotel overnight and it can change which teams you're with and that. It's too complicated to go in how mm. they do the, the hotels, but... Uh, I always think normally a team will go to dinner about the same time, finish dinner at the same time. The teams that stay longest after they finish eating at the dinner table are usually the most, the most successful teams as a rule of thumb. Yeah, yeah. But the difference between your sport and a lot of other sports is you're not training with these guys day in, day out. Yeah, it's a mad sport like that. Yeah. And even that, that there's only one guy crosses the line. And you've got to be simpatico with your lead out. So I'm smaller than most of the guys as well. So I have to trust where they're going. And that's built on a lot more than just being on the bike. And I'm fortunate to have some of the best, most selfless people in the sport during my career, you know. I'm very, very fortunate for that. It is such a weird thing, though, because most of the training you're probably doing alone, mm. right? But that's nothing like the racing and nothing like yeah. the teamwork required to, you know, for you to be successful and your teammates to be successful. You come together for these camps and then you it's, see each other at races. It's mad. And can you imagine? It doesn't make sense, actually. Can you imagine being a lead-out <laughs> guy where you know you've got to train, you've got to make yourself vomit in training by going hard so that you could go and make somebody else cross the finish line first. Okay, mm -hmm. the team's winning. There's only one rider has the name on the... yeah. For me, that's incredibly special. For guys that know... Their job is to sacrifice yeah. themselves for somebody else. And they'll go out and hurt themselves at home just so they can hurt more to support you in the race. Like, it blows my mind. Hmm. Yeah, there really isn't any other sport like that. Nah. It's what's so beautiful about this sport. Mm -hmm. There's so many little things about this sport that make it beautiful you know when you look at the layout for this year's tour like wh where's your head at in terms of it's a different kind of race this year 
It's not ending in Paris at the Champs-Élysées. No. You're in Italy for part of it. It's a very challenging course. Yeah. For all riders. But for a sprinter, like, you don't choose whether you're a climber or a sprinter. It's a physiological mm-hmm. makeup that defines if you can go uphill fast or not. doesn't matter how much I trained. If I only trained on hills, I'd still be last up a hill or one of the last. I just wouldn't be very fast in a sprint. Yeah, next year's Tour de France is very hard for anybody that can't go uphill decent. Mm-hmm. Like, it's always hard, you know. It's never easy. It's never easy to make a time cut, to finish. It's never easy. To put it into perspective, the last group on the road on a mountain day, which is normally my group, we would finish a stage in a faster time than the winner of what's called Le Tap de Tour, which is a sure. grand fondo, yeah. a massive amateur event that does one stage of the Tour de France. Yeah. You get ringer amateurs out for that. Yeah. You know, but it's a whole different tier. Yeah. It's not just a, just a level above. It's an, a complete other level above. And then there's the gap between, you know, you being in that final group coming over the hill versus, you know, whoever's taking that stage. That's a huge time gap too. Yeah. It's, Look, sometimes it's like we're never going easy and talking. You're never doing that. But sometimes it's not as close as it might seem. Say we're likely to lose 38 minutes in that one stage on the the winner. Mm -hmm. But the time limit is 45 minutes. We're idiots if we only finish at 38 minutes and not right. 44 yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you're not, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It, it's really quite done. It's calculated now. You can work out what the winner will do, and then you work out how many watts per kilo you have to do mm-hmm. on each climb, how much time you'd lose on each climb, and then you can work out the overall time you'd lose. So you can you can kind of ride to a... yeah. You still have to be able to do that, and it's it, it's a lot higher than even your average amateur cyclist would be able to do. It's quite calculated. It's just it's it's blown. a math equation, you yeah. know, for you. You know exactly, yeah. And you've got it's it's about efficiency because you're looking at you know the whole event and where you're going to make your mark. It's not going to be on the hill. Exactly, yeah, I might so be taking the show away from yeah. from the commentators. You know, they sure. have to make a story about yeah. it, make it exciting. But it's, oh, look it's how, not that how much he's hurting at the back. <laughs> yeah. right? You're just like, no, I'm doing this on purpose because yeah. I got you know in three days I got this other stage that I'm thinking about. Yeah. There's times when we're fighting to make the limit. Yeah. There is. I can't deny yeah. that. But it's not that often, really. Yeah, but it's still fucking hard every single day, yeah. right? The grind of like doing that day in and day out and having done it for, for 20 years, like I can't imagine. And it's a loneliness, to be fair. Yeah. Like, even though you're not talking, you're not riding, if you're in a big bunch, there's so much going on that you're thinking about that. Because any little thing and you go down. Mm. Yeah. When you're on your own, all you're thinking about is the pain in your legs. And that's actually hard. It becomes a mental thing rather than a physical thing, if that makes sense. Because yeah. it's all you it's all you have to, to concentrate on. You yeah. have nothing else to concentrate <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. you know? And uh, it's that day in, day out of loneliness when you think everybody else is, for me, that's the, always the hardest thing to overcome. If you go on social media and kind of scroll through, you know, the, the sort of, 
fitness influencer ecosystem, you see a lot of people talking about gadgets or some kind of supplement or this new recovery modality or that. My sense, though, of all the kind of super elite performers at the highest level of (laughs) their sport do very little or any of that whatsoever. It's like you train hard, you, you know, eat what you need to eat, you go to bed early, you're with your family, you Mm. try to see your friends when you can. And that's basically it. Like, is that your approach? Like, it's a very old school approach, but my sense is that, like, that's how you kind of do it. Yeah, obviously there's there's big sacrifices, but it's pretty straightforward life. Like, it's harder for somebody that, like I said, it's my job. I I get to Mm -hmm. do what I love as my job. That's all I have to do as a job is ride my bike. But at the same time, in fairness, like that's just, it's another year of having to get out there in the freezing cold and the rain yeah, and but that, like that ride by real. yourself and all of that, like to maintain, you know, kind of the level of motivation that you need to keep doing that. It's like, it's not an easy life, even at your level. No, but still get to ride my bike. Yeah, that's I, true. You know, <laughs> like, okay, you would like the choice to not go out if you didn't want to go out, mm-hmm. but quite like going out. There will obviously be times when I'm not going to be loving it, but I still every day know I'm lucky to do what I do every single day. At the end of of this year, so there's no pronouncement about whether you're going to keep going or not. No. Are you playing that year by year? I don't know, really. I'm old now. Like, I'm racing with... You'll be 39. I'm racing, right? Yeah. And I'm racing with lads whose dad I race with. I race with their dads, you know? There's a few of them that they're only a year older than my eldest boy. You know, it's it's like... How do they treat you in the Peloton? Like, what is their relationship with you as the old guard? I don't know, really. Like, I'd only be looking at it from my perspective, but... I'm asking, like, today Pogaccio, like, the, the, he's won the Tour de France two times. My five-year-old is, like, his biggest fan. And he, like signed jerseys and stuff for him so i'm going asking him for a signed jersey and stuff like that uh-huh. <laughs> so it's kind of a <laughs> he's bit 25 out of right yeah. he's like 25 years old yeah he's a good kid like brilliant kid that lad just i, I don't know they're still my competitor if and when you you decide to you know call it a day for good what does life look like like would you have a sense of what you would do where you would invest your energy i i'll stay in the sport that's yeah that's for sure i'm Quite happy with my team, mm. Astana, Kazakhstan. So manager maybe in the future? I hope so, something like that. Yeah. We'll see. I just love it. I love teaching. I love camaraderie, being with my teammates. You know what the only one thing that I don't like about my job? Having to get dressed to go for breakfast. Oh. I thought you were going to say coming and doing podcasts no, like this. No. <laughs> Uh, hotels like if you go away on holiday it's nice to be in a hotel you don't Mm. have to do your washing make your bed make your breakfast or dinner and but when you spend 78 percent of your year in a hotel room honestly like it's so nice to be at home yeah and not have to get dressed to have breakfast just go down on my underwear and just (laughs) make a coffee (laughs) You still have to share a room at races? Yeah, it depends what team you're in, really. Yeah. But I like to share a room. Yeah. I always have. Like, I climb the walls if I'm on my own. Mm. I like to 
chat, joke, talk about the day, talk about other stuff. Like mm. I, I like company in the room. Mm -hmm. It means a single bed instead of a double bed, but yeah, I like that company. Really. Yeah. The other crazy thing that happened to you is this situation where your house was robbed and these people broke into your house and from what I read and what I understand, like a guy like held you at night, had a, like a knife to your neck. Mm. Wasn't anything I wish on anybody. I can't, sure. I, I mean, I can't imagine. Three of them have been convicted, right? But there's still one guy who's yeah. at large. They can't track him down. Mm. Yeah. But he did a good job, really, you know. It wasn't the nicest night. I, I mean, sure. I can't even I can't even wrap my head around that, you know, what that must have been like. Yeah, not nice. Like, especially it stays with you a long time after. Like, especially like my my boy, he was three at the time in the room in bed. I just I had a crash a few days before. Uh -huh. I had a collapsed lung. So I'd been in intensive care a day or so. A few days later, my wife had come to pick me up she drove me home and yeah so I was in bed a bit a bit bad middle of the night they came in and they beat me pretty bad but I'm pretty happy I was there you know like I've, I had a friend who was away and they tied his wife and kid up you know and went in his house the same guys I don't know I don't I don't think so I don't I don't know but uh I count myself lucky. Yeah, that's... <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I mean? Uh, uh, sorry that that happened. I can't fathom it. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. With all that you've kind of accomplished and, and all the growth that you've experienced, how do you think about like the young Mark? There's a couple of things, but I think I'd say something, but then would that affect, you don't know which way you go with it. One, don't trust people like I was just completely trusting and that leaves yourself quite open uh -huh. to be, you know, really burnt, you know, um, like be a bit more, don't open yourself too quickly with people. That's something, but uh, yeah, stay humble. 
I think I know when I was younger, could have been a little bit more humble mm. at times and I wish I had been. Mm-hmm. That's even like talking about before, like when I like smack talk using somebody's, what I perceived as mental weakness against them. Yeah. But I didn't know, you know. It's yeah, not, it's not an excuse, yeah, yeah, but yeah. at least I, I also know you're that. you're winning everything, right? So what does that do to a young mind when when you trust people that aren't going to tell you right? Someone needs to hit you around the head and say stop that, right? You know who's giving you the honest feedback? You didn't have that when you needed it early. No, not really. When I was pro, you know, why it's quite common in professional sports. It's yeah. like that, you know, you're a product. At the end of the day, like. It's entertainment. You're you're a product, you know. Like, as a person, you're human, but as a sports person, mm-hmm. you're a commodity. You know. Yeah, we could see this person. You know what I mean? And I was so happy yeah. with how they did that. Like, it wasn't my film. I didn't have editing rights and that on the on the film. Uh-huh. You know. And I really believe the director Alex, the producers pitch Netflix. I'm so happy they didn't make it look all shiny and like, like they really showed mm-hmm. flaws and how shit I can be as a person, but also how vulnerable I can be as a person, you know, they, they, they really showed, showed that. I was quite humble that they did that really, do you know? Well, I think that's why it works, you know, and I think that's why it's meaningful. And I think that, you know, I mean, first of all, I commend you for opening yourself up to, you know, be available for that type of narrative and conversation. You could have easily said, I'll revisit this when I'm done with cycling. You know, I, I, gotta, I did. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, no, it was quite hard to to film some of it. And uh-huh. Alex, the director, was super patient, like really, really, really patient. And I think he was incredible to be able to open up to like that. And how he stayed like that and just let me do it. Because it's hard to talk about as well like trying to analyze struggles you have can kind of put you in a dark place Mm -hmm. again you know and you don't mind if you can share your experiences and maybe somebody relates to it it's worth doing then you know we do too much and you can it's talking negatively it it can spiral you down you know well i think it's also an important piece in a in a larger conversation around like elite athletics and and mental health it kind of pulls the veil on this idea that somebody like yourself or you know high performer x y or z they're immune from these Mm. sorts of conditions and they operate differently than than normal people when in fact like the pressures are very real and you're human just like everyone else and you giving voice to this gives other athletes permission to do that because as you know like everyone is in this situation where they feel like if they're vulnerable like that's going to that's going to really harm their career like if they let anybody know that they're actually hurting that's a chink in the armor that they don't want their coach to know they don't want their competitors to know it might not bode well for them getting re-signed or or whatever it is unfortunately and- even if that's it's not just them thinking that it is detrimental because there's a lot of people that don't understand, you know? Right. Like, unfortunately, it's like that. And it it can be hard for an athlete or a non-athlete to 
deal with their, their demons or deal with what's going on or know there's something wrong and be able to do something about it. That's one thing. That's a struggle in itself. But when there's other people making decisions based on mm. the perception of you that you, you can't, it's actually more detrimental. Mm -hmm. Like if you're trying to fight against something, like exactly what I was doing. It wasn't like I was trying to fight against what was going on with me. I was having to battle against obstacles that were put in the way. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem that, that unfortunately you're facing uh, when it's universally misunderstood, like mental health. And it's not to feel sorry, like you, it's not to feel sorry for someone. Never want anyone to feel sorry for me. Like, why would you feel sorry? It's not uh, something that's good or bad, it just is. But it's an understanding that you don't need to put obstacles in a way. Making it harder than it already is. Exactly. You know, to come out and, and, and talk about these things. And I Perfect. think, yeah, yeah. Sort of the, the uninformed view of kind of what happened to you when you were in your lower moments is, listen, you know, he had a good career, but it's not happening anymore. Like the train is moving on, you know, and like Mark will figure it out and do something else with his but life. But the people who fought that, have never done anything that I've done. So how could they sure. how could they put themselves in right. a position to think that? That, that, that was always my <laughs> thought process. Uh -huh. How can they say if I can do it or not? Because they've never done anything that I've done. Mm -hmm. do, do you know? No, I understand. And But they, they were the ones stopping me, showing them, <laughs> if right. that makes sense. I'm not showing them, doing it. it. It was like you try and go forward and you... For every step you do, and you're having to push the, the door. door is being shut. Like yeah. we don't want we don't want to hear about it. And yeah. your your whole thing was like you don't go from being the best in the world to suddenly like being shit no. and not being able to do it. Like something's wrong. You can decrease, but they're saying, over time. "Listen, you're old, whatever." Like mm. you, blah blah blah. Like we're done with you, as opposed to, well, let's try to understand what Mark is saying here, mm. and the fact that you know good people came into your life who honored that, and you went on this journey with them came out the other side and proved like, indeed, there was something wrong with you. You addressed it with the physical stuff, the Epstein-Barr, but also the mental stuff and came out, you know, counterintuitively having to deal with vulnerability and mental health and all these things that, you know, you probably thought were weaknesses coming out, not just stronger, but a more fully actualized person who's happier in their life and more grounded and like can connect with, you know, gratitude and all these sorts of things yeah. that, you know, you put blinders on as an athlete to perform and realizing that, oh, that's a more sustainable source of strength for me that can power me through many more years and great successes is a really powerful contribution to how people understand not just mental health, but like athletic performance. And I think you've also sidestepped whatever kind of existential crisis you might have had in the wake of retirement, thinking, well, what am I going to do now? I'm used to this like super, you know, exciting, high level, rare kind of life that nobody gets to experience. I'm probably not going to be able to have those kinds of peak experiences. Like, how do I make sense of my life? Whether you're Michael Phelps or somebody else who's coming out of a career where their identity and their whole like kind of way that they operate is based on that to suddenly being a civilian, you know, precipitates more than a few, you know, mental health crises in like high performing athletes. Yeah, but in in all fairness, I've had an idea and got into like plans in motion of what I'm doing after. I never yeah. want to just stop and like, it is always you think your dream is to stop. I've worked, mm. I've been doing this since I was a kid. I want to enjoy my life now. 
or like athletes are driven. That's why they're athletes, you know, it's not just athletes are driven. Yeah. Many, many people are driven. I need something, a goal. doesn't matter what it is. Mm -hmm. I need that. I just need one that allows me more time with my kids really. You know? <laughs> cycling takes up a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> the other weird thing about cycling is that like in other sports, especially really grueling ones, when an athlete, you know, finally retires, they're like, I'm done with that. Like, I don't need to do that. Cyclists always continue to ride. Like they stay connected to the sport. You know, their love affair with the bike doesn't go away, which I think is, is f unique fun. and interesting. It's so dynamic cycling. Like you can do it competitively as a sport. You can do it to keep fit mm. on any level, spinning or ultra riding or part of a triathlon. You can use it as a mode of transport. You can do it with your family. Kids go out and play in the street and it like, like just riding a bike is just so dynamic. You, you, you got no, you can go at what speed you want to go at, you know? Social too. Exactly. Yeah. You can go out on your own or with people, like you said, like socially. You can go for as far you want, as fast you want, healy, flat. It's so, you're free. I always felt free on a bike. Right. That's why I did it. I still feel free now. Like, I think if I'm not doing Vazzy's efforts, like uh -huh. interval sessions, I, I'm just thinking on my bike. If you run too slow, you're walking. <laughs> no. Do you know what I mean? Like, bite, like, okay, you fall off. You can choose the speed you do. Like, it's brilliant. Like, you know. You'll always ride. Yeah. Yeah. I'll always ride. I'm not doing a triathlon, though. I'd like to see you swim, though. No, mate. <laughs> no, like, I was at the World Ironman Champs in Nice. And oh, was, you were? I uh -huh. was, like, blown away. It's impressive. It's incredible. But it's so stupid. It's so stupid. <laughs> Put your body through that. Is that Says like, the guys in the Tour de France 20 times. I'm just, I'm just yeah. one thing. I'm just riding a bike. Yeah. Well, I'm doing that, that thing's that over in a day, bike. though. You know? Yeah. Do you know what? Actually, more than the pros, it's the, the people that are coming in at midnight. Mm. Like being like. Yeah, that's special. Like however many hours, 16 hours, whatever. Mm. Like it's easy to push through physical barriers and mental barriers. Like even before I had all the problems and that. It's how far you can push yourself mentally and like doing that much time like that, being out there with just you and your body, so impressive. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's life changing. So I mean, it, it's one thing to be Sam Laidlow or Christian mm -hmm. Blumenfeld or what these guys, you know, on the rivet for eight hours. Um, but the people who are coming in at 12, it's like they're out there are so many more, they're suffering longer, yeah. right? It was impressive. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe you're going to... Not a chance. My my team boss, Vino, he was world champion. This yeah. Year. He won the world championships there. Like age group. Right. 50, that, was a long, that was a while back. I think you should you should design kits with Paul Smith. Yeah. He's your guy, right? Yeah, he's, he just loves cycling. I know. He raced when he was young, like, and the nicest person you'll ever meet. He's still like coming up with designs for cyclists too. Yeah. If there's one thing that you're kind of focused on and working on for this year, like what is the hurdle you're still trying to overcome to unlock, you know, that next level of performance for yourself or like what comes up? Like, this is what I really need to work on. This is my weakness that I'm focused on right now. I don't know, really. Like I look at like last year, 
and I have a lot more things in place for, for next year than I did even last year. But say the Tour de France is a lot, lot, lot harder. Mm -hmm. I have to adapt to that. When they unveil the course, how does that impact? Do you have to tweak your, and sort of dial in your training Ooh, yeah. to customize not right, it? Not right now, but... Yeah. Yeah. And any things that you have to do, like, you know, at th now at 39 that you didn't have to do when you were 26? I kind of continue to ride. Actually taking a block of time. So I'm in off-season at the minute. And uh, when I was younger, it would be five, six weeks off the bike. Mm. Then you start again. After I hit 30, <laughs> it got short and short the amount of time I could kind of have off the bike without it taking a long time to get back. Yeah. Your base fitness is always there. You can't let it go for too long anymore. No. Yeah. You feel a lot more lethargic, don't you? Is there any training that you do off the bike that's different? Like what does the gym workout look like? The other, the sort of dry land, other things? No, I, I probably do less off bike work now than I used to. Hmm. All my stuff is quite... On bike based, that's Vazzy's thing. A lot of my strength training. There's no gym or anything like that. The, the strength work's done on the bike. It's all on the bike. Mm. And when you're hitting peak training, how many hours a week are we looking at? 30, 35 hours, yeah. yeah. There's some weeks you do 15 hours, but very high intensity, 15 mm -hmm. hours, you know. It varies. Um, the workload would probably always be relatively the same. You might do just less hours with higher intensity. I don't really know. I don't, I should ride my bike. Yeah. Bitch, I just ride my bike. Know. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to make it more complicated <laughs> than it is. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's actually refreshing, honestly. I'm measured in wins, really. I, well, for me, I, I want to win. Yeah. You know, like at the times when I have to try and get in the team to go to the tour, then all that stuff kind of matters. But it's for other people, you know? Yeah. If I know I can just be left to my own thing own devices to be the best I could be to go to the tour. Yeah. I know what I need to do to win. It's basically getting fit enough. You know exactly what your power to weight ratio needs to be. You know what the number, and you know how to get there, mm -hmm. and you want to show up at the tour healthy, fresh, and be able to strike when the opportunity arises and efficiently ride through the rest of it so that you can basically be in the best position you possibly can for those sprint opportunities. Exactly. Yeah. It's 21 days, so. And you can't control you it. To. There's so many variables, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, everything you do on the first and second day, even though you will have a, a knock-on effect on the 18th and 19th mm -hmm. day, do you know? For instance, if it was a really flat first 10 days, you'd probably go in with a little bit more weight you'd lose a weight in the first 10 days before you got in the mountains but you'd have a, a more powerful sprint whereas mm -hmm. it's hilly at the beginning you, you need to be able to get to the sprints as well so you'd change your body shape and that by 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 different training so dependent on the course yeah yeah i'm going too complicated now that even I, i'm getting uh, bored talking about it so <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna let you go in a few minutes man don't worry about it Two more things I want to ask you. Sure. One is, uh, was anything left out of the documentary that you wish had been in there? Or is there any aspect of who you are that you think it's misconstrued in the press or that people kind of don't understand about the real Mark? I don't know, really. Don't, I, don't, I don't know if it really matters if someone who doesn't know you 
who, who's never met you, will never met you, has a opinion on your personality. Mm-hmm. Like, they could be right, but most probably they're wrong about your personality, you know, for good or bad, I don't know, you know, unless you know someone. Someone I know will meet, if I make them happy, that's good. If I upset them, then I that's a problem with me and I, I, sh- I should sort that out, do you know? If you're affecting somebody's life or how they are now, their, their, their day, then that's something you've got to mm-hmm. address. My kids, they pretend to be their favorite sports person or pop star. Like mm-hmm. that's when you understand your job as a cyclist, really. You know, if someone's, if it can be a kid or it can be a, even an adult, like, you know, when you go out, don't say you haven't done it. You, you imagine that person you're seeing on TV. You, you've done it. For sure, sure. Done it. you might have been a kid, but you, you, you imagine you're someone, that's our job, you know? To be that person when you meet those people. Yeah. Oh, no, when you don't meet them. So it's not your personality, it's what you do. But when you meet them, then it's important to be the person you want them to, sure. to believe you are. If you're a good person, you bring them joy. If you're not, you affect them negatively. Yeah. That's so interesting, though, because you're thinking about this not just in terms of how you perform as an athlete, but how you're perceived as a public person and the responsibility. Yeah, I'm not talking about how I'm perceived. I'm talking about how I am. Being the person you want, you want to acquit yourself the way that. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. You should do it for, especially in the world now with with social media and the light that you can manipulate who you are. Sure. Don't be perceived to be a good person. Be a good person, do you know? Like, it's like, you shouldn't even have to say that. Not, you know what I mean? You do. <laughs> I have heard things about, well, I met him m- myself, met him 15 years ago. He was a dick. Mm-hmm. I was a dick. I was. I'm, you know, I'm not a dick now. I realize I'm a dick. Right. Based on a 10 second encounter exactly. that you had where that person was probably really excited to meet you and you were in a bad mood or whatever. Yeah. And now his whole view of who you are was ba- is based on that. There's someone over another team bus with another rider. You sign 100 autographs for those 100 people. Mm-hmm. When you're down to the last three who've been waiting there for two hours, that person has finished getting that one from there and comes and waits there. But you're done. You have to go. The bus is going. It's not, the bus has to go. And you leave, you're not being a dick. Right. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? No, I understand. Yeah. You can't fulfill that expectation all the time. You for can't. And, and it, yeah. it, but there was times in the past when I could have signed 50 mm-hmm. autographs and I didn't. I wish I knew before I had kids how much that means to sign autographs. Do you know? Kids is the reason I know, but probably I was a dick for not realizing that before. Do you know? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. But it's also, you know, it, viewing that charitably, like, you know, you're probably younger and, and my job is to race a bike. Like, I, I'll sign as many as I can, but I have other things to do too. Like, I can't just be available. I could make people perceive me as being nice, but it wasn't that. I was just a dick. Yeah, okay. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I have to be truthful. I didn't really care. Right, I get it. You know? But I don't see a dick sitting across from me right now. I see, I oh, see like a pretty you. nice grounded dude. And I guess like that leads to the final kind of question that I want to ask you, which is, you know, this 
podcast thing that I do, if, if there is like one overarching theme, it's really about growth and evolution and change. Like how can we become better people? How can we be more fulfilled, you know, live more purposeful, meaningful lives, you know, be a little bit more compassionate and self-actualized. And when I look at kind of the changes that you've gone through and your own personal transformation and growth as not just an athlete, but as a human being in this kind of mental health journey that you went on, like I see somebody who's who's earned their transformation, like you've grown up in a lot of ways, right? And I just want to leave the audience with some thoughts about that process. If somebody's thinking about like, how can I kind of level up who I am as a person or how can I welcome a little bit more discomfort into my life to to grow and challenge myself. Like as somebody who's on the other side of one chapter of that, like what do you tell that person or what can you impart from what you've learned and the experiences that you've had? Yeah. Right. For me, of course you can have negatives, but find a solution to any negative or look for a solution to it. turn it into a positive. Like negativity drags you down. And that's not to say, just don't be negative. That's, that's like saying before, don't be depressed. <laughs> that's not, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, it's, if you can find solutions to whatever negative thing is going on, it doesn't have to be negative thoughts. It doesn't have to, it just, just anything that, there should never be a problem. You should look at the solution to the problem, just I can't do it because it's a problem or I can't, it's, you might not be able to do it, but it turns it into a positive rather than a negative mm -hmm. and it's a massive weight lifted like the glass is always half full it's not half empty if you can look at life like that you can do what you want to do you know just take it from experience because i never thought like that before and it's been an absolute game changer mm. to me not harboring negativity finding a positive way to look at things that's a great way to go into this season, man. I'm happy Thanks, for man. you, dude. Well, you know, it's, you. it's cool. It's, it's really cool to, you know, you're, you're so clearly in, in this really good place in your life, like emotionally. And it's one thing to be in that place. And it's another thing to recognize it. Like you really recognize like this cool life that you have, and um, the opportunities that you have. Thanks, man. I'm lucky. Yeah. Like how I have an incredible wife that stuck by me through everything and, I realize what I have. I've got an incredible, beautiful family. I get to do what I love as a job. Yeah. Oh God, there's, n there's nothing to, yeah, things are perfect, you know? That's a good way to end <laughs> it, man. Things are perfect, right? <laughs> Thanks, man. That was great. You're, you're an inspiration. Uh, you know, I've been a fan for a long time, but now, you know, knowing you a little bit and getting to know you through the documentary, like, I, I really appreciate you know, the journey that you are on and what you're trying to do, man. Thank so you. I can't, I'm, I'm really excited for the season to come for you. Thanks, Rich. Thank yeah. you. Cheers. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. No Peace. Problem. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. I truly hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links and resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at richroll.com where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as podcast merch, my books, 
Finding Ultra, Boise Change, and the Plant Power Way, as well as the Plant Power Meal Planner at meals.richroll.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on YouTube, and leave a review and or comment. Supporting the sponsors who support the show is also important and appreciated. And sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends or on social media is, of course, awesome and very helpful. And finally, for podcast updates, special offers on books, the meal planner, and other subjects, please subscribe to our newsletter, which you can find on the footer of any page at richroll.com. Today's show was produced and engineered by Jason Camiolo with additional audio engineering by Kale Curtis. The video edition of the podcast was created by Blake Curtis with assistance by our creative director, Dan Drake. Portraits by Davey Greenberg. Graphic and social media assets courtesy of Daniel Solis. Thank you, Georgia Whaley, for copywriting and website management. And of course, our theme music was created by Tyler Pyatt, Trapper Pyatt, and Harry Mathis. Appreciate the love. Love the support. See you back here soon. Peace. Plants. Namaste.